six. And today we're going to do, be doing a case study of Christianity in the culture. Specifically talking about the, the Prince of Egypt. The Prince of Egypt, yes. Uh, you know, so very modern, only 22 years old. It's all good. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so hard nowadays to find something up to that par. That was yeah. fantastic. So we just watched it, and I would encourage you, if you have the time and can find it. Pause right now. Go watch. <laughs> yes, pause now. Go watch, and then you can listen to us, or listen to us, and then go watch it again for your own personal enjoyment as well however yeah. oh and before we get too far in case you forgot who we are i'm james affair this is ravi timi i am ravi timi yep yeah so this is actually my first time ever watching it gasped terrible um this is a lapse in my pop culture education <laughs> pop culture he was like four when the thing came out <laughs> I, I remember when it first came out and my cousins were talking about how impressed they were by the opening uh, disclaimer and I was looking for it when I got like I, I wanted to see what it was and then I watched it, I'm like I am also very impressed by this I want to read it real quick this is the first thing you see in the movie it says the motion picture you are about to see is an adaptation of the Exodus story while artistic and historical license has been taken we believe that this film is true to the essence values and integrity of a story that is a cornerstone of faith for millions of people worldwide the biblical story of Moses can be found in the book of Exodus. Now, that is how you do a disclaimer on a movie from the Bible. That's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was just cool because I hadn't watched it in probably eight or ten years now. And I obviously didn't remember it from back then. But I was like, when it was playing, I'm like, see, that's what is lacking in a lot of the modern adaptations or whatever. It, Specifically, respect. Yes, the, the <laughs> respect that they showed, and it's going to come up later in the review, mm-hmm. and just the way that they treated the subject material, and I was looking it up, and they actually consulted with Christian theologians and Hebrew scholars, and I think they even mentioned that they consulted with Muslims, because they mm-hmm. consider this part of their history, yeah, too. Yeah, about how to do it and how to do it right, and that they actually, the scholars were impressed because they actually took their input and made changes <laughs> to the movie, which is just shocking for some people. But I know it's crazy. I mean, they did a better job with this adaptation than you know, you know, the Harry Potter adaptation or the Lord <laughs> of the Rings adaptation. Yes, definitely one of the better adaptations of anything. That I've seen. Yeah, um, I did. I was taking notes on my phone while I was watching it, so I have like a lot of notes down here of different things that impressed me, things that I actually noticed about the biblical story that I hadn't actually noticed from reading it, um, that I actually noticed from watching the movie. So uh, we'll talk about some of those, and we'll talk about, I think, the two things that are actually explicitly contradictory to Scripture. Out of the entire thing, I had to think really hard. Uh, I, I, there might be more. If, if you have, if you know of some other ones, then you can comment and let us know, and we can discuss them. I, um, I'm not counting the things that they left out. That's not a contradiction. Uh, <laughs> you can't include every single right. detail. And what's cool is just before we actually did the viewing, we were talking about movies and watching movies, and what we really enjoy is when a movie doesn't force us out of the viewing yes. mindset yeah. in order to question what's going on in it. Yeah. Like, I yeah. always hate it when a movie kicks me out of the 
enjoyment mindset of just mm-hmm. enjoying the movie and makes Breaking me think, immersion. wait, why did they do that? That doesn't make any sense. It makes me switch into the analytical point of view. And I always hate it when that does that <laughs> in the movie. And it was nice because with subject matter that we're all very familiar with, oh, yeah. it wasn't hard to stay in the movie and stay yeah. in the experience it's, of it. It's kind of like you know, if, if, I, if I'm watching a movie and there's a character who's playing a violin – I'm not going to notice if they're not doing it right. I mean, we all know he's not actually playing the violin. They have a recorder doing it in the back, and he's just kind of miming it. But my wife plays violin, and she always gets really antsy when, you know, the notes are going one direction, the guy's bow is going the other direction, and, <laughs> you know, their fingers aren't matching up to the actual, even any close to the tempo of what's going on. And she, she gets really antsy about that. I know people who are so knowledgeable about typography, that they'll be watching a movie set in the 1920s and go, that font wasn't invented until 20 years after that. And I'm like, what the? <laughs> That's insane nerddom there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, same thing with, like, you know, with Lord of the Rings. I mean, when I was first watching it, one of the biggest immersion-breaking things in that one was when the Nazgul king broke oh. Gandalf's staff. I was like, what? No! That doesn't happen. That, that can't happen. That's, like, completely ridiculous. It's just... For you plebeians out there, that's in the extended edition of The Return of the King. Yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is which breaks less stuff than the theatrical version does. You know, I mean, there's things like that that you know, if you're a nerd about something, you recognize. So, one of my nerddoms is scripture, which should be for Same. a Christian, for a Christian <laughs> right? That's why we're doing this, right? Yep. Um, I, th- I think that's something that every Christian should be a nerd to some degree yes. about the Bible. That's uh, something we're all encouraged to be, to you know, study yep. the minutiae. So, but just with the disclaimer, it says, while artistic and historical yes. license has been taken, we believe that the film is true to the essence, values, and integrity of the story. And it's just cool that... What they, kind of license did they take? Right. They added in backstory. They added stuff that was consistent. Right. They didn't distort it. They filled in characters, and it was interesting. One of the – we mentioned one of the cases of something that we both knew wasn't going to be in there. One of the stories <laughs> um, about uh, the circumcision of yes. what's his, M- Moses and – Moses' son. I don't yes. remember which one. Oh, yeah. But the first we one. mentioned that it's probably not going to be in there. Yeah, but no. But then we were like, but <laughs> how would, how would the you character put... of Zipporah in the movie would yes. actually be the right character of yeah. Zipporah in the Bible. And it's like, it was so cool that... It's consistent. Even though they didn't need that character for that scene, it would still be a consistent character. Right. And what they were doing was filling out the characters mm-hmm. as they would appear throughout the rest of the Bible mm-hmm. without actually making that. Right, because the other thing is, is that you want, when, when you're bringing it to life in an adaptation like this, you want to bring it more to life to show more of the truth of what's going on. So the lines of, that they said that were from Scripture were accurate from Scripture. And they didn't, like, add in other phrases that weren't in Scripture to change the meaning of what was from Scripture. You know right. what I mean? They didn't, like, you know, add in a line beforehand that changed the meaning entirely from what it actually was from Scripture. Right. They, they were very they, consistent. They and were consistent. <clears throat> and they just kind of filled in some of the details that yeah. you would want to tell a story as opposed to recording a history. Right, right. Which is one thing I really liked is the whole... They they made this juxtaposition between Ramses and Moses 
this very strong character-driven conflict that really lent a lot of emotional depth to everything that was going on the grand scale. And you saw this conflict between the nations of Israel and Egypt in this conflict, and in God, and the false gods of Egypt, and the, and the, you know, the false priests and their conflict, all going on, and then represented in this microcosm of these two characters that you get to know so well. Right. And then you see them interacting, and so it's like speaking and exploring what's going on behind the scenes. And so they weren't just adding in flavor for the sake of flavor. When they added in the backstory of these main characters, they did it in a way that actually helped you understand the macrocosm that much more. Right. That skill in yes. storytelling. I love, when I'm, when I'm writing, I love looking at the big picture of the thematic aspects of the conflicts and the tensions of all the different characters, which I get bogged down in development that way. But they did a really good job in exploring all of that. I was just really, really impressed. And just as like a note of overall, one of the overall things mm -hmm. is we mentioned we were taught wow, we were being terrible video watchers and talking while we watched. <laughs> of course. Um, we mentioned that I don't normally do that, trust me, but it was for a good not cause. In theaters, but <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it was but, for your sake. Yes. But the art Yes. Of it and oh my the goodness. Colors and the fact that it actually still looks good compared yes. to the fact that it is now 22 years old. <laughs> There's something, I mean, this is this was made about the same time period as the original Lion King, wasn't it? I don't, Rough, no, roughly, I don't know. The, the art style is very similar. This one came out in 98. This was the first one that DreamWorks made. Oh, really? So the guy actually was tried to pitch the idea of doing a animated... Um, Ten Commandments or an a animated story of the, Exodus. The original Lion King was 1994. So Okay, so yeah, just after that. Yeah. And so he wasn't able to get the idea done by Disney, but then when he went and started DreamWorks with a couple of other guys, he pitched it and they said, go for it. So huh, cool. this was actually the first product made by wow. DreamWorks. Wow. Yeah. Good start. <laughs> yep. Jeepers. But yeah, so I, I was thinking about um, like all these new 3D remakes, I and mean, I've watched the Lion King, not the the, 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 um, the Jungle Book 3D remake, and it was actually reasonably good. Mm -hmm. uh, it was reasonably good. Uh, they changed a few things, whatever. They had some fun songs, but it didn't. I don't know. It it was fun. It had a few more dramatic scenes, cinematic cinematic elements, yeah. elements that were cool, but. You know, I know people complaining about you know the 3D remakes of um, you know the Lion King and how it just it just didn't fit. You can't get the same expressiveness on a lion's face the right. same way. And that was something that I remembered that you know the whole interaction between Ka in the Jungle Book right. as a snake from the animation you can't do that right. <laughs> in you know a you know a you know photorealistic rendition. And so when you look at this, you've got fantastic art that is expressive, that is narrative in the quality of it. There are so many different things, little gestures, the way you had juxtapositions of background elements with foreground elements and being able to match up 
you know, the face of Ramses with the face of his statue. And then prior yes. to that, his father against his statue of himself and all these different motifs that were repeated throughout. And then having them repeat with all of the, um, uh, the, the that weird dream sequence. Good the heavens. dream sequence was that really was, interesting. That was really interestingly done. That was fascinating. Um, because I mean, he had the whole Egyptian motif and the flat. Like right. you're, you're seeing a, a flat. So instead of in, just flat, flat is into the. <laughs> right. So instead of. Um, so the dream sequence, instead of doing the standard like lens flare tips you off that it's in a dream, he yeah. goes to sleep and he and his dream is him being in the hieroglyphics on the walls, exploring the history of Egypt in on written on the walls. And it's just that was genius. Yes, it was very well done. And yeah. the use of background art and mm-hmm. telling a story and making making setting points more through mm-hmm. the art yeah. than trying to do like deep background facial expressions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they were telling you the emotions and explaining even their motivations by opposing Ramses mm-hmm. with his father set. And then you, in the background of the scene, you see the set said he's, statue is bigger and forward set mm-hmm. as opposed to Ramses, which in that perspective is slightly back and shorter. Mm-hmm. And it's about Ramses is trying to live up to yeah. what his father was. There's so so much scope for symbolic elements. I mean, and then, and then there's all of the, I mean, the, the, uh, the magic duel. Yes. Yeah, Cause you see these things where you like, it's literally smoke and mirrors. Yes. <laughs> and you see how it's smoke and mirrors and it looks incredibly magical because you can see all things and they're able to pull all this crazy stuff off that, you know, you wouldn't be able to pull off in real life without an intense amount of CGI. And it wouldn't come across right. It would look weird. Well, they set it up like an entire magic show that yeah. these guys have set up for years and mm-hmm. that they use to prove their power. And it does a really good job of contrasting God working a miracle versus the, the simple reality of it, right? Rather than of all Moses the setting and... down his staff and it becoming a serpent, a real serpent, <laughs> right? A real serpent, as opposed to their fanfare of flashes and smoke and delusions, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they have the snakes. Oh, gee, and, I wonder where that's come from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, going off of that, there was one note that was really cool to be commented on was a subtle nuance in. Ramsey's face after the um, turning the, the the River Nile into blood, and then they have they're, they're put upon the, the the fake priests are trying to you know imitate, which I always find that humorous. That yes, we're just as powerful because we can make more blood. Why didn't you? If one demonstrates be helpful, you could like make the blood go away, but that would have been more useful. Right? <laughs> but they couldn't do that, of yeah. course. Um, so they make more blood, but and of course it's obviously fake in, in the movie, but. There's an expression you can see that there's a moment where Ramses looks at it and you can see that he knows this is wrong. This is not quite it. But then he convinces himself this is kind of this is good enough. Yeah, they did it right. And because he wants to believe right. so much. Right. And the, the power of self-delusion as yeah. he's looking at his hand coming out of this bowl of punch, basically. Yeah. And he looks at it, and he knows something's wrong, and then you see it in the way they animated his face, where he rejects that and says, this is good, my people can do exactly what he does. Yeah. And it, and 
in the background of that scene, there's the entire river mm-hmm. filled with blood. And it's like, House if he's even be. thinking about this, he's got to know it's wrong, but mm-hmm. he wants to believe so bad that yeah. he's still in control. Which it goes right back to, you know, our lives. Right. And how often do we, when we're, I mean, and particularly before we're saved, which is what this is fundamentally a picture of, we cry out and refuse to believe the evidence that's all around us constantly of the glory of God and the creation. And we're constantly doing ourselves with these, frankly, ludicrous arguments <laughs> of evolution and these crazy things. Yes. So, like, th- this makes no sense. It's a house of cards. If you take any critical look at it, it falls apart. But people are so delu- self-deluded, trying, cra- grabbing on to it to believe so hard so that they're not held accountable, which is what fundamentally what this was all about. He did not want to be accountable for the blood that was on his hands. And, you know, that goes into, you know, the whole other theme behind this story is the blood that was on the hands of Egypt and that had stained the land and that God was bringing justice for it. It wasn't just like this petty rivalry between, right. you know, tribal gods kind of thing. If you'll try and, you know, make it out to be sometimes it mm-hmm. was God wasn't being petty. He was waging a war for the liberty of his people that were being slaughtered and tortured and enslaved. He was fighting a war. He was bringing justice. And that's such an important thing that I thought they captured really well. Right. Was the just judgment of God on the sin of Egypt and on the sin of the Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't just, you know, irony or poetic justice. It was a legitimate justice. But it was still... You see Moses crying afterwards, the grief that it went that far, that how much their stubbornness, refusal to repent, had caused themselves so much grief. He, I mean, it's like, he said it over and over again. It's like, I didn't want this. Right. I didn't come here to destroy your nation. I came here to set my people free and made this about pride. Right. Which and is, one, one, of the, one of the things that we're probably, we should probably touch on now is a lot of these come up in the songs and yes. the soundtrack. Oh my goodness. I mean, is, it goes without saying, but wow. <laughs> but in case you haven't, you need to go and listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> yes. The songs on it are really well done and they tell the story they so do. well. They do. The opening song mm-hmm. that's going on while it has the montage is probably like five minutes long. The song is. But it, it tells the backstory of the Hebrews that they're enslaved, mm-hmm. that they're forced to work, that they're building this Egypt, mm-hmm. and that Pharaoh's killing the firstborn, and that Moses' mother has him, mm-hmm. takes him to the river, puts so him much in a backstory. Yeah, watch. it crams the entire backstory. It's so emotionally evocative and that yes. dust and sand and just the slavery and how real it was. Yes. It, it reminded the the style of it and the emotive impact of it reminded me strongly. I don't know whether it was actually hearkening back to it maybe, but in Les Mis, the first song in that one is look down, right? Look down. Don't look him in the eye. It's very, very similar. Cause you have this, you know, the, the inmates who are working on the chain gangs and they don't have any hope and they're looking for getting back free again. And, then you see Jean Valjean getting out and all this kind of stuff. There's a, it's a, it's an interesting parallel right. there, 
but there's a very similar emotive impact to it that was very um, stark and um, primal to me. I, I love Lame Is just yeah. It's my thing, but yeah, it's, <laughs> this, it was this, really, was, this was really, really interesting. One of the other things I really liked about it was the care that they did with actually like tying it to Hebrew culture. Oh my goodness. Tying See, it inclu- in. Including Hebrew songs in exactly. it. Exactly. Hebrew oh songs goodness. in it and using the way that the Hebrews talk about God mm-hmm. and Elohim, Elohim and mm-hmm. the way that they're made it feel more real than even like the live remakes because mm-hmm. of the care that they put in doing the small things that made it count. Yeah. I mean, you know, just down to the attire and the way they talked, the way they moved, the way they danced was so cultural, so evocative of right. that time period. That it was just beautiful. Yeah. Um what else do, what else do we have in here? Oh, one one thing I was going to note back about the the fact that, you know the 2D animations and people nowadays are wanting to make everybody everything into a 3D remake. But and I've I've watched a lot of YouTube videos of artists who are complaining about this that people are thinking of these remakes as like an upgrade. And then complaining about how they're they they aren't as good because they're not an upgrade. There there's I was thinking about it, and really, what it is that you know, when new technology creates a new art art style or a new art form, all it's really done is doing is opening up new options. It's not making anything obsolete. Right. I mean, we still do you know oil paintings, mm-hmm. even though we can take pictures. Why? Because it's a different art style. <laughs> it's two, right. two different things, and there's different kinds of things you can express. And being able to see, like, one of the things I really liked in this one was the the, the way it pictured. The presence of God. Yes. It wasn't, it was like literally, you know, literally like in scripture, it was just, you know, a burning bush and it was the Shekinah glory of God. It was the light and it didn't have, you know, like, like in you know, the first commandment, yeah. it wasn't. For it, those ultra hard reformed people, there were no two CVs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they did not break the second commandment by trying to portray God. Yeah. Right. It was it was really well done, and it captured from Scripture who God was and what he was doing in that conversation with Moses really well. Yeah, the, and that's one of my probably favorite scenes in this whole mm-hmm. thing was the burning bush scene yeah. because I've seen it so many different times <laughs> and so many different adaptations, and all of them do it wrong. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that when it goes in here and it God isn't just... Morgan Freeman reading a script. God isn't just <laughs> yeah, some yeah. big deep voice. God has dynamic range mm-hmm. and he has the forcefulness mm-hmm. of who when he declares who is man mm-hmm. and who made, who made your mouth, tongue, who made your mouth. <laughs> that there's power there, but then there's also depth and caring mm-hmm. and his desire to free his people. Mm-hmm. That passion of love, right, was and really well portrayed. It was he's a person. I mean, he's who personhood right. came from. Yes, you know? but he it came across really well in that way. That was just fantastic. Yeah, and again, and then afterwards, the when Moses goes back down and it's all muted, but he's trying to, but 
again, going back to the animation, him trying to explain it to his wife, Zipporah, and you can just (laughs) see him, how he's trying to explain it and read it in his expressions (laughs) and stuff. It's so well done. Yeah, yeah. It's just fantastic. Um, Looking at some of my notes here, covering a lot of them, one of the ones that I've been thinking about lately is a lot of the classic... um, conflicts of the returning brother who's not the same anymore oh yes (laughs) and so one of them you have moses and ramses you have this tension between these two people who grew up as brothers and then end up being on opposite sides and it reminded me of ben-hur and masala Mm -hmm. in in ben-hur and how Ben-Hur came back, and they were friends growing up. One was a Roman, one was a Jew. It didn't matter when they were little. But then they grow up, and now they're part of their people. And there's that conflict between their peoples that's played out in their own relationship. And then that betrayal of brothers becomes so much more potent and meaningful because they're brothers. And the conflict is so much more personal because they're brothers. And this has a similar kind of thing. But then I also thought of Faramir and Boromir, when you have um, these two brothers who were at conflict and tension vying for the recognition and approval of their father, Denethor. And it became, it was an, it's an interesting point that's not in the movie, not, or at least not done properly in the movie, I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> One of my pet peeves uh, is what they did to poor Faramir in the movie. But in the books... Boromir was, you know, they do this part in the movies. Boromir was trying to live up to his father's standards, and mm-hmm. he was trying to live up to him and live out his father's expectations and all this kind of stuff. And then Faramir, in the books, was looked down upon by Denethor because he held himself to a higher standard than his father. Right. He looked beyond, saw the light of Numenor. He held himself to a moral code and a moral standard that was better. Mm-hmm. And it helped, kept him free from temptation. And, he, and there was this tension between him and Boromir of love, but also jealousy and strife. And that played out again in his conflict with his father because when Boromir died. Right. But the same kind of thing happens here, I think, between um, Moses and Ramses, where you see Ramses is so caught up in him, you know, that stubbornness of I must not be the weakest link. I, I must carry on this dynasty. I must give my, you know, carry on my father's name. Right. And then Moses originally was like, you know, yeah, you can do that. And you kind of backing up. He was, you know, prankster that kind of didn't really care about too much. And, but then he caught sight of something higher, right? Something more noble. And that separated him from his brother and caused that tension that I thought is, is, is an interesting reflection of this kind of motif throughout really good stories. <laughs> and it was interesting, again, tying back to the whole building a character be, that mm-hmm. goes beyond your movie. Yeah. When Moses flees Egypt mm-hmm. and he goes to Midian and then, again, there's a great musical montage of him becoming this shepherd in Midian. Mm-hmm. And it's with his father-in-law. Mm-hmm singing about how what you have to do is you have to stop looking at yourself Mm -hmm. and looking at, okay, what did I do? What can I do? Where do I fit? But looking at yourself from the big picture of where God sees you Mm -hmm. and that 
what that does is it builds Moses into the man who God uses to set his people free. And as it says in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is the most humble person mm. on the face of the earth. And it's, the reason he's so humble is because he sees that he's nothing in the mm. big picture, but that God yeah. is using him. And that yeah. if God chooses him to be the leader of these people, then that's his job and that's what he has to do. Yeah. yeah. It was just cool that the way they set that up is you can see him becoming a humble person mm-hmm. because when he goes back, um, Ramses thinks it's all about Moses trying to beat him because that's mm-hmm. what Ma- Ramses has always thought. He's always yeah. been in competition with Moses. Even but, even from the first scene you see Ramses right. in, uh, who's getting held by Mama. Right. <laughs> yes, the whole it, it, it's all they've been setting up that it's a conflict always between Moses and Ramses. But mm-hmm. when Moses goes back, it's not about him. It's yeah. about God and God's people. Yeah, and. Ramses can't grasp this. So in yeah. probably one of the Still best songs personal. in the thing, the song of the plagues, mm-hmm. they're singing back and forth to each other. Mm-hmm. And Moses is just crying out to Ramses to let his people go. <laughs> just, Cause can you not see all the pain? Humble you're yourself. Ca- <laughs> right. Can you not see all the pain you are causing to your people mm-hmm. and the people's whose lives you're ruining because you just won't let go of your pride. Mm-hmm. And all Ramses can see is Moses I'm not gonna standing. Lose. Th- right. I can't lose to Moses. Yeah. Which I actually was thinking about that just now about, how it's Ramses who's causing this ultimately to his own people. And it's that weight of responsibility of being the Pharaoh. He took on himself the responsibility of this entire nation and it's his actions that are causing it, which is part of the whole point of being a ruler is you're responsible for the people. And so that, you know, reflects back on you. But yeah, it's, it's really amazing how many different layers there are in there. So I, I was actually, the other thing in there you're just talking about was one other thing that I think might be a contradiction. Mm-hmm. It's from scripture. So there, there's there's two things that I had noticed. Um, one, they're, they're 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 pretty nitpicky, but uh, one is that um, Ramses didn't survive in the Bible. Yes, Pharaoh and all of his armies died. In, in the Red Sea. In, in the Red Sea. There were, there were no survivors. So in the movie, Ramses gets flung out on a wave so he can do one final last cry of Moses at the end, which is you know dramatic and cool and thematic and everything, which is fine. It's just, just going to clarify that not quite accurate. And then there was one I was, we were discussing, and we weren't sure exactly if this is if they really messed this up or not. We, we can give them the benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt though. Um Right before the final plague in the scripture, Pharaoh says that, leave, you'll never see my face again. If you see my face again, you'll die. And Moses answers back, says, you have well spoken. You, you will never see my face. I'll never see your face again. Turns the threat into a prophecy. Um, and then, you know, a few chapters later, at the end, Pharaoh calls on them and tells them that they need to leave. And it's not completely clear in scripture how that actually worked. I mean, obviously... He didn't see his face, 
but did he like send messengers? Did he just like talk to him from behind a veil? Or is he just like, you know, how'd that work? So in the movie, I was like, oh, he did see him again after that point. They never actually said that, so it was wrong. But then Ravi pointed out to me that in that last scene, right after his son dies, um, Ramses never looks at Moses. Right. He, he's, he's, he keeps his back to him and is looking at his son and refuses to look at him. So mm-hmm. even though they didn't bring that part up, that it was actually... Actually, they actually kept true to that. Which yeah. actually, that's actually impressive. So, um, nitpick failed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then there were a bunch of bits that they left out. Of course, obviously, obviously. I mean, they, they, cr- they crunched down the plagues a lot, which, which, which for timing and for pacing were done really well. Yes. they kept it accurate and um, it, it worked really well. But they and didn't trim it out. One of the things that we both noticed about the plagues specifically yes. is they didn't trivialize it. Yes. Like a lot. Oh, what was the the most recent Moses Ten Commandments movie? Whatever. Is that the one with Batman? Yeah, the the yeah, one okay. with Batman. Yeah. Um, whatever. Yeah, Christian, Christian Bale. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah it. It tried to. I, I, it, I think it tried to explain, if I'm remembering correctly, did, it tried to explain a lot of the things did as they like go natural the whole naturalistic, phenomenon. They did, kind of. Okay. Like some of it was miraculous. Some of it was okay, just cause and effect stuff. Those numbers so, are nuts. They don't make any sense. Yeah. So it was. Oh my goodness. So it was like <laughs> trying to split the baby on it. But yeah. this one, they, in the lack of trying to avoid contra they just put it out there that God he did this. sent this. Yes, and again, one of the explicitly, right, dramatically, one of the more dramatic epically. songs. It was yes, <laughs> the songs, the plagues as they come. Oh my goodness! And the storytelling through it is really good. I don't think I've seen song be used quite as well as a mm-hmm. story moving device because yeah. a lot of times in musicals they can't they, they, you they, they have, pause the story to do right it. you pause yeah. the story and then the characters sing something yeah and then they go on in this one the song moves the story forward yeah lame is the same way which is why you can actually watch right. just the songs and get to play right which is really <laughs> cool um but it's, i think that's a hallmark of a really good musical and which, there was one thing about that that just popped into my head that I had noticed, but I forgot to note down in my notes, is that the priests, you know, the the fat, the fat one and the thin one, yes, um, are kind of the comedic duo, and they're always trying to set themselves up as the antagonist, right? Because they're kind of antagonist versus Ramses and Pharaoh and Ramses right. and Moses. I mean, and they're kind of pulling, they're putting themselves up this way, but then. They're completely trivialized. Yes. In the plagues, you see them going along, trying to do different things, and they just become less and less of an issue. And they're just, you don't see them again. Right. It's kind of just like, poo-poo, bye-bye. You don't pay any attention anymore. Once God truly shows his power. (laughs) You are completely meaningless now. (laughs) (laughs) You have officially become irrelevant. That was was really well well done. Because it wasn't about, you know... The priests versus Moses and Aaron, they tried to make it that way. Right. It was God versus the false gods of Egypt and completely wrecking them. Right. It was God, I will show my power and make my name known among the nations yeah. through Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that was that was really cool touch. Yeah. And uh, just the compassion that it has Moses sharing. Again, oh my goodness. the yeah. leading for the rest of the story. It was... Yeah, because it wasn't sadism. It right. wasn't like God's like, oh, I'm I'm mad at you. I'm going to sw- smack you and right. become be horrible. It was there. There's God has grief. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He explicitly says that in scripture. But right. 
he was doing it for the good to rescue Israel out, to right. show, give them liberty. And those was the consequences that they faced for standing in his way. Really stupid thing to do. Yes. Um, do not pick a fight with God. He always wins. <laughs> yes. Yes. There was something else I was going to mention that was tied in with what we were just talking about with, I think it was to do with the music, but... I mean, I, I really liked the Hebrew motifs. I really yes. liked, you know, the, the dancing was awesome. And the... Oh, the opening song. That oh. was really cool with uh, where Moses' mother is singing. Oh, that motif is so beautiful. Because, like you said, it bring it brings the plot along. It was a plot point, right. that song. And it also tied... And it was cool because of... It was very Hebraic in style and... Mm-hmm. And it tied the movie into the history and into the culture of the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. It was just really cool. Oh, yeah. and something I just saw in your notes that during the Ten Plagues. Yes. it The way it does the death of yes. the firstborn. Yes. I, and I actually had noticed that earlier um, with in, in the first song with the deaths of the children when the, Israel, when the Egyptians were killing the Israelites – Right. That was tasteful as well. It was tactful, rather, anyway. So you could tell what was going on. It was terrible, but you didn't actually see any kids being beheaded. Right. Right. You didn't see any of that. And then in the end, you didn't see the angel of death, you know, slaughtering any kids either. Right. Which would have been really super disturbing. Yes. But, so you could know what was going on, but it was tactful. Right. You knew what was happening, but it wasn't... Yeah. yeah, it was impactful. Still, it was impactful without being tactless, which yeah. is super good for a movie. <laughs> yeah, particularly if you want your kids to watch it. Right. <laughs> uh, so that that was really fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. One other thing, going back to the plagues themselves. So there's always people trying to explain that it was these you know naturalistic phenomenons that this one particular volcano erupted right. and then the ash came. And, you know, turned the water red, and so the frogs left, and then the frogs died, and so they had flies, and the flies wiped out. It was like this big chain reaction kind of thing. And, one, the chain reactions don't really make all that much sense for all of them anyway. But, if you're going to actually trust the actual narrative scripture, if you're trying to make it as in, scripture said this and it was right, but this is what was actually happening behind the scenes, then you're, you know, making a liar out of scripture. Because... Uh, Scripture is explicit about explaining specific ways that made it clear that they were miraculous and not natural phenomena. For example, right. God turned the water into blood. He yes. didn't turn it into to algae. looking like blood. Right. <laughs> it was kind of, right. it was kind of very obvious, very literal blood. Right, but and there was water still in the land of e- in the land of the Israelites. They just and, had to dig wells for it now. Yeah. And then, and then the darkness. Yes, that was really cool that I just noticed. It's, it's not just this blanket darkness across all of the land of Egypt that could have been done by a dust cloud. There was light in Goshen where the Israelites lived. Right. And in the movie, it has that. It, it has, has that in the, the movie. darkness falling on. And then you zoom in and then your light. And you can see the darkness over the land of Egypt in the background. Mm-hmm. But where the Hebrews lived... It's still yeah. light, and it's like so. It actually, it didn't just leave out the bits of scripture that would that, that make it clear that it's miraculous. They included those bits to affirm the miraculousness right. of them, which is just fantastic. I mean, just applaud. That's just amazing. 
They, they, they weren't cowards. <laughs> no, yeah, they they yeah. did it right. Yes, it was fantastic. So there's a lot of other things, you know, I mean, there's so much in, you know, this, there's so much in the scripture stories behind all this. But there's a couple things that I noticed that either I hadn't noticed before in reading scripture uh-huh. or I had just forgotten that I had noticed them. Um, the, there's, a, there's a connection in scripture between, obviously, the different plagues and the different, you know, gods of Egypt, which wasn't as right. manifest in the movie. But... The connection well, it's between not that manifest in the Bible either. You... Not you have, you have to know a lot about <laughs> right. Egyptian, Egyptology exactly. to know the connections. Yeah, <laughs> to be uh, fair, <laughs> to be fair. Um, but the one of the first plagues, and the first you know manifestation of power was the rod and the serpent. But the first plague proper was right. the blood in the river, and that's where Moses came from originally. It's like, the, and that's where they killed the babies because they were told to throw the babies in the river and drown them. So the blood of on Isra- on the Egyptians' hands for murdering the Israelites' children was in the river, right? And that's where the blood was that he met. He, he it was essentially like God was showing them the blood that was already there. Which, if you knew what had happened historically and you were living there at the time, what would be the first thing that came to mind? You think when you see the river, you think of how many deaths. That had happened, and the genocide that had been enacted in that river, and suddenly seeing the blood in it, and being reminded of the blood on your hands because of it, it's just so pointed, right? Like God's making a very strong point here, other than you know wiping out their economy and you know saying yeah. that I'm more powerful than the Nile that you worship as a god. This was a very pointed act, and it says you did this, right? From the beginning. And I thought that was... I had never actually connected that before. Mm. And seeing... Because there's so many parallel motifs and foreshadowing in the movie that I was looking for all these different things. And I suddenly connected that, that this is actually something that God did. They didn't invent right. that. Um, another one that was similar to that is just this, the motifs of the serpent. And you see, you know, the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness, the bronze serpent. And that was prophetic of Christ. Right. Right. And, you know, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up. And you're looking on it for salvation. And then, so, you know, the serpent being lifted up on a pole was symbolic of Christ being lifted up on a pole. And then the first symbol of God's power to Israelites was a rod being turned into a serpent. Right. It's just kind of cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's interesting it's because like, it's. It's like cameo, there, appear, then, cameo but, appearance of the gospel. <laughs> and, right. And then God. Showing his power to Egypt and the representation of God's power defeating the representation mm-hmm. of the sorcerer's power. Which is, which is Satan. Right. So it's like, you know, from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden with, you know, being turned into serpent and, you know, you know God shall bruise your head. You'll even bruise his heel. So there's this motif for this battle with the serpent all the way along. And right. then God using that same kind of motif in the battle with Israel with, with, with Egypt. It's just... God really likes his yes. symbols. <laughs> so that was symbology was, is a real thing. It is. It's, it's really fun. So that was something that I thought was really cool that was highlighted in the movie that either I hadn't noticed before or uh, I'd forgotten that I noticed. Right. What 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 else what else was there? Let's see. Do you want to bring up? Um. Let me think. This as I was saying. Tons of yes, foreshadowing. It's all very good. Um, oh my goodness! The crossing of the Red Sea. Oh my goodness! That has got to be the best adaptation of the oh crossing of the Red Sea I've ever seen. So epic! <laughs> I mean, that's like this is the definition of epic, right? Um, 
I mean, that th- th- that was one other um, one one of the other co- contradictions of scripture, though, was that in scripture it explicitly says that the Tower of Pillar of Fire stayed between the armies until they were wiped out. Right. Um, but that's you know minor detail. Right, minor another, detail. Another, n- another nitpick. That, but again, and that's also one that most people get. That most adaptations <laughs> and probably most people in most their most mind Christians get it wrong. Get it wrong. Is technically the, the, the flannel graphs get te- that wrong? Right. Technically, <laughs> the people of Israel were still in the sea when God collapsed it on the when God threw the yeah, he Egyptians into the sea. He collapsed it behind sea. them. If you if you look through the actual narrative and you pick out and listen to it very carefully, and it's describing what's happening in the sequence of events. Um, they camped on the shore, God opened it up, and then there was the pillar of fire that, and cloud that was separating them. And then as Israel was walking through, the pillar of fire and cloud followed behind them, close behind them, and then the army followed close behind the pillar and cloud. The pillar of fire and cloud f- falling behind there. And um, they were all in the Red Sea together when God collapsed Um behind him after he'd taken off their wheels so they couldn't escape yeah. <laughs> and wiped them out and then they went out of the the red sea because it's it's a long walk yes very long so they in the movie of course they like were going through and they were near the end of the journey and then god removed the pillar and then the army went in after them and there was this oh no goodness they're chasing us and they hurried out the other side and just in time all the waves crashed down. So it's nice for dramatic cinematic right. impact. Yes. Which is cool, and it doesn't really change anything theologically. Exactly. <laughs> We're all cool I mean, with you, it. You, 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 could, I mean, you could make some kind of metaphorical argument that God doesn't always wait till we're out of the problem before he fixes it or something. I don't know. You could, know. You could make I some interesting... The, I always hate it when some people, weird stretches. I always hate it when people try to stretch for stuff like that. It's yeah. Like, well, you're reading don't. a lot. That's a, that's a good example of Isaac Jesus there. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not picking about it. I'm just commenting Team yes. that that's as far as I have to go to actually find something that's actually technically oh, that was the, that was the other one. So I remembered the other one that I think is actually a more possibly a more significant contradiction of scripture. Okay, um, this is something that's actually a pet peeve of mine that pastors get wrong okay. a lot. It's not if you're reading just in Exodus you wouldn't know, um, but in Hebrews when looking back on the Hall of Faith. It references, I think it's in Hebrews, it's either in Hebrews or in um, uh, Stephen in his thing. Yes. Um, Let me pull up the verse here so I can get get it right. Okay, so yes, in Hebrews 11, talking about Moses, we went a whole passage on Moses, as opposed to some people got only half a verse. It says, let's looking at, okay, let's let's do the whole, let's, let's do the whole Moses section here, 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. The parents' faith, not Moses' faith. Because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. This is his theme here, not afraid. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And then by faith... He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Then through faith he kept the Passover, and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned, and so on, 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 on. Um, but that key bit there, by faith 
he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So he left. The, the, the act of him leaving is, uh, Egypt was not a matter of him being scared right. of what the consequences of his action, which I, I, I see this typically in sermons that are about despite you know your background god can save you and use you i mean paul was a murderer and david screwed up royally uh, multiple times and they go through all these all the patriarchs and point out all the bad things they did you know jacob was a liar and he was a cheater and all this kind of stuff and they kind of badmouth all the patriarchs to make you feel better which annoys me just to start off with but they call moses a murderer I don't think he was. In fact, I, I think you can very you know, confidently say that he was not a murderer. Um, he did nothing wrong in killing that Egyptian guard. One, he was saving somebody's life who was being unjustly attacked, mm-hmm. which is not self-defense. That's It's actually more justifiable. It's defense of somebody else's life, saving an innocent. Right. So that right there is morally he wasn't murdering. And then... He was the dude's superior officer. He was ranked in Egypt. So executing him and holding him accountable was part of his job in his ranking as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was legitimate in what he was doing. The problem was it was not politically expedient. So that's why when he said this thing is known, that's when he was worried it's like, well, this is this is going to mess things up for me, kind of thing. But the th- interesting thing was, when you look at Stephen, when Stephen gave the the re-narration of the history of the Israelites in front of the Sanhedrin, and he was telling us, "It's your guys' fault because you guys haven't believed in God this whole time." And he went through the history of all these different times that God gave salvation to the Jews and they rejected it, right? And one of the examples was when Moses killed that fair that that um, Egyptian taskmaster. He said that he had, Moses had supposed that they would have understood that he was supposed to deliver them, but they didn't believe him and attacked him for it. They rejected him. So that's why he left. He's like, my time is not yet because they rejected me. If they had accepted him at that time, he could have led them to to, um, liberty at that time. Hmm. He himself was ready for it. He knew that was his job. He wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, a reluctant hero. Right. He was already primed by God, serving God, and ready to lead them to victory. And that he was taking action, obeying God, doing what was right, offering them their liberty, and they rejected it. Hmm. And that's why he left. He went, waited in the wilderness for 40 years until they were sick enough of their um, misery for them to accept the the, um, deliverer that God sent to them. But then at that point, he doesn't want to go. At that point, he was like, he, he kind of was, yeah, you know, like, I'm not the right person anymore. Yeah. So he had his own issues. He, 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 had, like, he had his own issues at that point. Isn't he like 80 years old at that point or something? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, he, he literally 80 years at the time. And he's like, you know, my time has passed or his, you know, I'm stutterer. And he's, he's had esteem issues at that point. But the fundamental thing was that at that point, he wasn't sent away because he wasn't ready, though God used it to mature him and right. that kind of stuff. Of course, God uses everything for his right. good. But from Scripture, the fault and the blame wasn't on him. It was on Israel for rejecting him at that time. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard anybody with a sermon on that. 
I can't imagine why. Maybe it's because it's not there at Exodus. <laughs> it's not, uh, yeah. you, you have to go look at Exodus, and then you have to go look at Hebrews, and then you got to go look at Acts. Right. <laughs> and correlate them all together. Right. Be, yeah, because in Exodus, it doesn't say anything about that. Yeah, it doesn't. So it just struck just, him down, and, like, and then later on, two people are fighting, and they say, what, are you going to kill me just like you killed the Egyptian? Mm-hmm. And then made known, and... Okay. Who made you prince over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat by a well. Yeah, so it's like, so, you know, God's not making, the, the door's closed here, obviously. Right. And he fled. So, but the thing is that you could read it easily from that, that he's afraid of the Pharaoh. But then Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, Right. Um, says that he was not afraid of Pharaoh's face, and he was trusting in God. Right. And then in Acts 7, we're going to to Stephen, reading that one out. Um, okay. Acts 7, and um, I'll just go from, from verse 18, um, or sorry, from 17. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly, trickily, with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. In which time Moses was born, and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him, and avenged him that was oppressed, and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver him them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong to one another? But he that did his neighbor wrong, eh, of course, thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at the saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And it goes on to the whole... Um, thing later on and later on in verse 35 it says this moses whom they refused saying who made thee a ruler and a judge the same did god send to be a ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush he brought them out you know after he had showed wonders and signs and so on so he's going with this whole motif this whole sermon about God sending you deliverers and you're rejecting us, but you're hard-hearted and stiff-necked and you guys right. are a bunch of idiots. Yeah. You know, and so he's using Just, this as a picture. In the same way that, that, they re- that the Israelites rejected Moses. They rejected Jesus. Back when Moses first was trying to free them, mm-hmm. you rejected the cornerstone, right? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. That was his sermon point. Right. And he, so that's, and from speaking through the Holy Spirit, you can see this, you know, greater understanding of the story. Which I always love it when scripture interprets scripture. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. <laughs> so that is one thing that, I mean, it's really common. So I'm not blaming the movie at all. This is common in, across the board. I've seen practically right. every sermon on the subject um, have, you know, Moses fleeing in terror for his life and that he was in the wrong for what he did. He was, you know, acting too Gryffindorish, I suppose. And <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that mentioned. This time. <laughs> on. For the homeschoolers in the audience, Gryffindor is part of the Harry Potter series. Harry Potter has magic, which makes it evil. Oi! <laughs> we'll have to do a whole other thing on cult- culture Kidding. and media <laughs> and what makes a book or a movie that has 
you know, magic elements in it wrong or bad or good. Um, as, as an example, Harry Potter is not of the devil. However, Star Wars is... I mean, <laughs> Star Wars is heresy. Star Wars <laughs> is heresy, yes. <laughs> um, but if, if you're going with an actual antichrist um, fantasy, then that's um, Philip Pullman's um, His Dark Materials with the Golden Compass and the subtle knife in them, which made into a movie. I'm going to nod my head knowledgeably and pretend I know what he's talking about. It's actually, it's a really well-written <laughs> book that is earnestly and wholeheartedly and overtly of the devil. Literally. I mean, Satan's is the, you know, the hero. So. That's not weird at all. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. Anyway. So, that's an example of one that's not good. <laughs> but, anyway, yeah. So, Gryffindors are, for you who don't know, Gryffindors are, you know, impetuous and try and do things without thinking first. Yeah. But, uh... Like, People kind of blame Moses for being that way. They say, you know, he was, you know, trying to do it in his time rather than God's time. And I'm like, nope. He was trying to do it in God's time, but they didn't want to be in that time. So God had to, you know, wait 40 years for them to come to their senses. So, yeah. So that, that, is, that is one thing that was, you know, contradictory with that part of it. But they were also sticking to what was revealed in Exodus rather yes. than <laughs> the rest of the New Testament. So, yeah. As it says, biblical story of Moses could be found in the book of Exodus. Exactly. <laughs> so that, that, that that's a more extended nitpick. But. Yep. Very good. So, overall, you should definitely yes, find yourself watch. a copy and watch it because... Six out of five stars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. I think it's the second, third best. Third trying best. to decide. Because there's some actual, like, word-for-word remakes of yeah, the yeah. Gospels, which would technically yeah. be better, but as far as cinematically, of course, this is better because it's... Yeah. But one of the best adaptations... Yes. <laughs> that I've seen. As opposed to a um, reenactment. Right, as opposed to a reenactment. Yeah, yeah. One of the best movie adaptations of a biblical thing that actually does it right. Yeah, yeah. Um, as opposed to, like, you know, the History Channel's version, which was absolute... Um, um, <laughs> Falls under the same ca- camp of Star Wars as heresy. <laughs> um, it's worse than Star Wars. <laughs> I like Star Wars. Don't worry. Don't get me wrong. Trust me. Star Wars is cool. It's cool. It's just heretical. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like just like Buddhism. You know? but, um, yeah. So, or the Noah movie. Ugh. That one is. Have you watched that one yet? Which one? The, the, the one with. Oh, um, yeah, with Russell Crowe. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think I have watched that one yet. I've watched enough I, I wa- scenes from I, it. I, I want to watch it. If you, if you ever do, I want to watch it with you so I can watch you bang your head against the wall. <laughs> I, I, I watched that one in a group with, I was supposed to do a, a, a Christian movie review, like discussion group where we watch movies and discuss it afterwards. And I mean, my hand shot up after, like before the credits were rolled and I was hopping up in my seat like, <laughs> I was so, I was like seething and hopping, vibrating in my seat. I was so mad at that movie. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. It's, it's messed up. <laughs> this movie is not like that. No, it's so not. It was you should refreshing. probably go and watch Prince of Egypt. Yes. And let us know in the comments and send us a note letting us know what you think of it, what – if you had any other issues with it or mm-hmm. yeah. if you have any other ideas of movies you think, oh, this would be fun for them to watch and bang their heads against the wall again for. You, you know, in particular, actually, because I think it would be good to do a series on – because this is an example of when you make a movie based on scripture. Right. Then there's movies that are – or books, uh, for that matter – that are not based on scripture – 
but teach a scriptural message with a fictional story, like you know, you know, all of the Kendrick Brothers movies, right. for example, ones that are explicitly Christian right. for a Christian audience that are trying to teach a Christian message with a s- fictional story. Right. You've also got ones that are you know you know like biography type movies talking about you know yes you know historical events with Christian message. It's kind of similar to this one. Probably fall in the same um, camp as this category. Hacksaw Redemption or Hacksaw Ridge. That okay. was it. Okay. One that we could do on that. I, I know some genre. some some of the um, George, um, not, not George, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer documentaries on okay, his yeah. life are also very very good. Um, but then there's just ones that are just for enjoyment that aren't necessarily there, that are you know overtly or explicitly Christian, as you know. And I suppose you could put like the Chronicles of Narnia is right. kind of in that blend. And then Lord of the Rings is a bit further down the line in, in, on the spectrum. On the spectrum, yeah. On the spectrum where it's f- inspired by a Christian worldview, but isn't there to, you know, present a Christian worldview as the point of the story. Though it teaches morals that aren't consistent with it at right. the same time. So there's these different kinds of standards for media and culture that are created by Christians. And then you've got, you know, a... a Say we probably talk about you know a, a movie or a book that was written by a non-Christian, right? And how do we enjoy this, and how do we interpret it and learn from it when it's you know not like, like a Star Wars movie, yes, <laughs> um, that's written you know that is actually explicitly contrary to Christianity from its worldview um, positions, and we can still learn and grow from it and still enjoy it with a discerning mind. And how do you do that? Yeah. So I think that would probably be a good kind of fun series to do, taking yeah. different case studies. Um, from different categories like that. Yeah, explore. so if you guys have any suggestions yes. for, ooh, this would be a cool one. And we can go, or you watch we, something and you're like, yeah. what on earth could you possibly get out of that? Let us know and we'd <laughs> love to try to review it, maybe. Right. <laughs> you know, like, we were talking about John Wick at one point. That might be a bit yes. difficult. <laughs> it's a fun movie. That would be but... a hard one to lead off with. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is a great start. <laughs> this is a great start. All right, well, we will let you guys go. Remember to subscribe, like, share, comment, discuss, yell, scream at us over the phone, whatever. Yep. Um, And have fun. Yep. God bless. God bless, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Absolutely. Okay, have a great week.